Welcome to the Need More Buffs podcast, the unofficial Light Seekers podcast sponsored by DeliveryCrab.com. DeliveryCrab.com, your number one source for Light Seekers cards and three points of healing. Welcome back, Seekers, to episode 41 of Need More Buffs. I'm your host, Matt Sonnenberg. If you're new to the game of Light Seekers, I urge you to listen to this episode. If you only played the digital version of Lightseekers, I strongly urge you to listen to this episode. I know all too well how enticing it can be to just jump into a game without even reading or looking at a boring rulebook, especially when the game is in a digital format. In recent weeks, Lightseekers has gained a lot of new players. Some of them from Gen Con, some of them from PAX West, and some simply just because they released the digital app. All of these things are great for the growth of the game, but with new players come a lot of questions. And these questions tend to repeat themselves over and over. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I, I love answering questions and teaching people how to play the game, but I think if we treat this episode as a resource for newer players, that's just going to be a more effective way of getting the information to the people who need it. So even if you don't have any questions or don't think you have any questions about how the game is played or how the app works, I still hope you listen to this episode. Perhaps you know someone that you can share it with that could get something out of it. In addition to simply explaining how things work, I will be covering a few edge case scenarios that you might not be aware of, a few quirky rules that may be different from other games you've played, and a few tips to get the most out of your app experience. If you were taught to play Lightseekers in person with physical cards, you may already be aware of some of the rules and clarifications that I'm going to bring up. But for those who only learn the game digitally, these rules may not have been so clear. On the other hand, even if you did learn the game with just physical cards, there are some rules and clarifications that just don't make sense to bring up in a basic demo session. But since you're in this for the long haul, I'm assuming, it's best that you learn about them now so that you're not caught off guard when you're in the middle of a game. Many of our topics come from questions I get in emails and questions that have been posed on our Facebook group, which I highly recommend that you join and you can find a link in the resources page on Delivery Crab. Uh, that's at deliverycrab.com slash resources. However, if after listening to this episode, you still have any questions, please feel free to ask the group on Facebook or email me personally. The first major item I want to talk about is the buff phase. The order of operations not only plays a big part in how the game plays out, But once you fully understand the rules, it actually gives more power and significance to certain cards. The buff phase is actually the second thing that happens on your turn. Before the buff phase, you actually need to check for any cards that tell you to do something at the start of your turn. There aren't a lot of these cards right now, but there there are enough that you need to be aware of them. Uh, One of the more common start of turn cards is insect swarm Uh, this card reads deal one damage to your target at the start of your turn the order of operations is significant here because damage that 
can potentially be increased by other buffs is involved. So you need to check all your other buffs to see if they affect Insect Swarm before you rotate your buffs for this turn. But after you've taken care of any start of turn cards, you can continue on to the buff phase. The first thing that happens here is that all of your buffs rotate. Well, I, I guess I should say all of your buffs that have the gray circles with a rotation symbol in the corner. If the buff has nothing in the corners, in any of the four corners, it's never going to rotate and is basically a permanent buff. It will stay in play until someone removes it or a certain condition is met. If it has irregular or clunky gray icons in the corners, it could rotate, but it's only going to do so when a specific condition that is stated on the card is met. This could happen during your buff phase, but it could also happen later during your action phase or even on another player's turn. It really just depends what the text of the card says. However, like I was saying, all the buffs that have the gray circle icons in the corners are going to rotate right at the beginning of the buff phase. All of these buffs rotate simultaneously. After all the rotations have been made and expired buffs have been removed, then you trigger each buff from left to right. This is the main point that I want to talk about here. Knowing that all buffs rotate simultaneously before activating is a key piece of information when deciding if and when that you want to play a particular buff. For example, if you played a Draga Scorcher, which does 6 damage on corner 2, you follow that up with a Colossi Ritual Site, which can increase damage done by 3 on corner 2 as well. If the cards rotated individually, the Draga Scorcher would rotate first and apply its 6 damage. Then the Ritual Site would rotate and basically have no effect during this buff phase, at least. However, since all buffs rotate at the same time, the Draga Scorcher is able to do 9 damage with this simple combination. This little detail may seem trivial right now, but believe me, as you get deeper into this game, it can have a much greater impact on the choices that you're going to make. Up next, superiority. From time to time, you may have noticed that one or more of the elemental symbols on your hero card have gold circles around them, instead of the basic silver or gray circle that most of them have. The gold ring means that your hero has superiority in this element. Without superiority, you're limited to playing just one card of this element per turn. With the superiority, the gold ring, this limitation is completely removed. Occasionally when I hear people explaining the gold ring, they tell people it means that you can play two cards of that element on your turn. Most people get this idea because you inherently have two actions on your turn, but they're not accounting for the cards that provide you with additional actions. So it's very important to note that superiority does not simply increase the limit to two cards per turn, but it actually removes that limitation entirely. Moving on to abilities. 
abilities can seem a bit tricky when trying to explain the rules and limitations, but I promise that once you've actually used a few of them in a game, it will start to seem very natural. The first limitation to keep in mind is that you can only use one ability per turn. Simple. That That's the easiest rule to remember. But where are the abilities found? Well, there's a number of buff cards, as well as a few items and even a few of the heroes that have abilities on them. These are denoted with the white text in a black box that says either attack ability, defendability, or sometimes just plain ability. The text that follows this box does not take place when you play the card. Instead, you have to use one of your actions to actually activate it. Using an ability basically counts as if you are playing that card on this turn, except that this time you actually get to activate the text that follows the ability marker on the card. This is important to note because it means that you can't play the card and activate the ability on the same turn, because as I hope you know, you can't play two of the same card on this, uh, in one turn. So that also means you cannot activate the ability on the card and then try to play a second copy of the card from your hand on the same turn. It should also be noted that using an ability also counts as using the element of the card the ability is on. This is a rule I know I overlooked for a long time, so I know it can be very easy to miss. Uh, I'll give you a quick example. Let's say you're playing with Fish Singer Ushi. Ushi has no superior elements, so you're limited to playing one lightning, one water, and or one air card per turn. So if I have a Hurricane Spirit in play, and let's say it's on corner three, and I choose to use its ability on my turn, that uses up my air, my air element for this turn. So for my second action, I would not be able to play a Thunder Slug or any other air card. That's the only air action I have available to me with my hero because of that limitation. One final note about abilities is that if you're using an attack ability, it has the same effect as playing an attack card. Or if it's a defend ability, it has the same effect as playing a defend card. In and of itself, this mean, this means nothing. But if cards are in play that state when you attack or when you defend, these abilities also trigger those cards. So keep that in mind. I've also gotten a few questions about how you can pay for combos. Thankfully, this is actually one of the easier questions to answer. You were likely taught that you just have to pay for combos with cards from your hand that match the symbols on the top of the combo card that you want to play. That's all well and good. The questions I get include, can I use an item card to pay for combos? Yes. Yes, you can. And I also get, can I use another combo card to pay for a combo? Once again, yes. Yes, you can. And this is actually the ideal way to pay for combos, as when you're paying for combos with combos, you'll likely be giving up fewer cards from your hand. So this is something you want to think about when you're building decks as well. The last rule I want to talk about before I get into some other parts of the game is one that I know has taken a lot of people by surprise right at the end of the game, and 
that doesn't always leave you with a pleasant experience. Let's say you have three health, your opponent has 10 health. Your opponent also has an electrified moat in play. So if you attack them, you're going to take three damage. So in your hand, let's say you have planetary alignment, which is a combo attack card, which could do 12 damage along with the cards you need to pay for the combo. Now, if you're not familiar with the rules, you might hesitate to play that planetary alignment as it would trigger the electrified moat and bring you to zero health before your opponent actually takes the damage. However, since you are the active player, you actually have an advantage here. If you reach zero health during your turn, you are not immediately removed from the game. You can't gain any health, but you play out the remainder of the card that you played. At the end of this action, you'll check your opponent's health. If they're at zero, then they are immediately removed from the game and you win. If this is a multiplayer game, you would also be removed from the game since you're at zero health, but that's a topic for another time. The point I'm trying to make here is that it is possible to win the game with zero health left. In fact, there's even an achievement for pulling off this feat in the digital game. All right, enough of the rules talk for today. With the advent of the digital app, there are two more topics I want to touch on. Scan before you share. If for whatever reason you want to ever share a picture of any of your Lightseekers cards online, you should always obscure at least one edge of the card to make it unscannable. But if you're a little paranoid or you just want to be as safe as possible, I highly, highly, highly recommend scanning all of your cards. This will not detract from the value of the card as you can always unscan or unclaim the card if you end up trading or selling it. So you don't have to worry about that. But scanning your card is the ultimate foolproof way to ensure that no one else can scan the card. This is a habit I would get into, especially if you're doing any kind of unboxing videos or videos where your physical cards would be in the picture. You want to record your video, scan all of your cards, and then after you have scanned all your cards, you can upload the video. I've heard just too many stories at this point of people buying cards that have already been scanned without their knowledge. This is part of the reason that you won't see any sort of live box break or unboxing videos from Delivery Crab. The risk just isn't worth it to me. Now, there is actually one type of card that you never want to cover up. This is the Tribute card. Tribute cards are found in the Awakening Starter Packs as well as the Kindred Constructed decks. These cards, you still want to make sure that you are the first first person to scan them, but then you want to share these cards as much as possible because when other people scan them, and when you scan other people's tribute cards, you can unlock a bunch of free stuff in the app, whether it be free cards, or free treasure chests, or whatever they have in the game. This has actually become a, a fairly popular activity for players, That, and I recommend that you join the Facebook group that is dedicated to sharing and scanning these tribute cards. I'll be sure to put a link to that in the show notes for you. 
I will also put a picture of my tribute cards for you to scan in the show notes as well. Anyway, I think that was enough talking from me today. I hope you're able to get something useful out of this episode. Uh, as always, the show notes for this episode can be found at deliverycrab.com slash 041. It's deliverycrab.com slash 041. In the next episode, I have a special treat for you. I think, I, I hope it's going to be helpful at least to maybe some of the newer players, maybe some people who have been around for a while as well who've been struggling with the game a little bit. But we're going to talk a bit about deck building practices, a little bit about what I do and a little bit about how newcomers are coming at it. So I hope you'll join me for that. But that's all I got for now. So until next time, got some more deliveries to make.